Coming up this evening, live from New York City, Twitter and Elon Musk set for legal battle. Twitter on the verge of suing Musk to force him to buy the company. Legal experts give us their take. Protests break out in China because of a number of banks are not letting people make withdrawals. Europe on edge as the biggest pipeline supplying Russian gas to Germany shuts down. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Any moment now, Twitter is likely to formally sue Elon Musk. And the two are going to be in what experts call an unprecedented legal battle. Who will ultimately prevail? NTD's Colin Fredrickson spoke with legal experts to learn more. Elon Musk wants to exit the Twitter deal, and Twitter is suing to make him buy, setting up the two for an unprecedented legal battle. It's a nightmare for Twitter to deal with. Dan Ives is a senior equity research analyst at Wedbush Securities. Ives says it's been a circus show for Twitter since April. Employee turnover, advertising, headwinds, competitive issues, a lot of stakeholders. And this is a company I was getting ready basically to be bought. Now, all of a sudden, it's a standalone public company again. Causes strategic chaos. Musk started pulling out late Friday, saying that Twitter breached multiple provisions in their agreement. Mainly, he says, Twitter isn't being honest about how many accounts are bots or automated accounts that aren't real people. If you're basing your user base and there's a big segment of them that are not real users, the company is actually worth less. Oscar Gomez is managing partner at EPGD Business Law. Gomez says it's going to be difficult to prove how many bots Twitter actually has. Twitter says that fewer than 5% of accounts are bots, while Musk suggests that likely over 20% are bots. Unless Twitter has been engaged in some sort of whole-scale fraud in terms of the extent of uh, user bots, I think there's a very good chance that Musk might lose this litigation. Dominic Romano is the managing attorney at Romano Law, PLLC. Romano believes it's highly unlikely Twitter is hiding the number of bot accounts. Remember, it's a public company. Um, the executives would be in significant legal peril not just on this deal with Musk, but with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Romano says Twitter would also face shareholder lawsuits. At any moment, Twitter may formally file the lawsuit in the Delaware Court of Chancery. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Potential rolling blackouts in Texas today, in the middle of the scorching summer. ERCOT, the organization that operates much of Texas's power grid, says Texans face a potential energy shortage. It says there's no market solution available. It wants people to use less energy between 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. That's the same time temperatures are expected to surge into the triple digits. The National Weather Service has given an excessive heat warning for large parts of Texas, warning of dangerously hot conditions that will feel like it's up to 113 degrees. It's telling people to drink plenty of fluids and stay in air-conditioned rooms. ERCOT, which stands for the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, is a private organization and not part of the government. It manages around 90% of Texas's energy. Uber apparently used unethical practices as it pushed into markets around the world like lobbying political leaders to relax labor and taxi laws. That's according to a new report released yesterday. 
It was based on more than 120,000 leaked documents known as the Uber files. They were first leaked to British newspaper The Guardian, which shared them with investigative journalists. Entity's Sean Marshall has more. The Guardian shared the leaked data with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. The nonprofit network of investigative reporters scoured internal company texts, emails, invoices, and other documents. The leak spans a five-year period when Uber was run by its co-founder, Travis Kalanick. He apparently went to great lengths to make the company a worldwide organization, such as breaching laws, tax regulations, and discreetly pursuing prime ministers, presidents, billionaires, oligarchs, and media barons. Text messages in the leak reported that Kalanick saw the threat against Uber drivers in France by violent protesting taxi drivers as a way to gain public support. Kalanick texted colleagues, violence guarantees success. On Sunday, a spokesperson for Kalanick said the former CEO never suggested that Uber should take advantage of violence at the expense of driver safety. In response, Uber said it stopped using the technology in 2017 when current CEO Dara Khosrowshahi replaced Kalanick. It said the current CEO was tasked with transforming every aspect of how Uber operates. Sean Marshall, NTD News. U.S. stocks lost ground today. All three major indexes ended in the red. The Dow fell 164 points, or half a percent. The S&P lost 45 points, or one and two-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 263 points, or two and three-tenths of a percent. Turning to China, a protest turns violent on Sunday in central Henan province. People are protesting over local banks freezing their deposits and not allowing them to withdraw money. Chinese authorities violently dispersed thousands of protesters gathered at the People's Bank of China. Entity's Colin Fredrickson has a story. Hundreds of people are seen holding banners reading, No Deposit, No Human Rights, outside the People's Bank of China building in Zhengzhou City. A large number of police in plain clothes showed up and warned the protesters to leave. Your actions have been deemed illegal. Leave in 10 minutes. If you do not heed instructions from staff on site, if you do not leave and if you continue to disrupt society, the police will take stern action. Security personnel ran towards them as a man's voice was heard chanting, thugs, thugs, thugs. Videos show police forcibly dragging protesters downstairs. They beat those who resisted, including women and the elderly. Several protesters were injured, some even in critical condition. Since April, four banks in Hunan have frozen millions of dollars worth of deposits, leaving thousands of small savers without funds. The banks say they were upgrading their internal systems. Chinese media has reported that the frozen deposits could be worth up to $1.5 billion. While the Chinese bank regulator blamed illegal fundraising activities, customers believe the regulator failed to safeguard people's interests in the first place. More than 1,000 depositors had planned to gather in Zhengzhou last month to try to withdraw their money. But Chinese authorities turned their health code red making it impossible for them to travel. A similar planned protest was also thwarted in June. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the protests is China expert Gordon Chang. Gordon Chang, appreciate you coming on. So a number of banks in China's Henan province, you know, they're not letting people withdraw money. 
a lot of people angry about this. Up to $1.5 billion in deposits could be in there. Now, Gordon, what is going on here? Why are Chinese banks not letting people take their money out? China's going through a debt crisis. And part of that debt crisis is that the banks are illiquid. They have lent money to failing property developers and to others, and they just don't have the cash to pay back depositors. So this is now a crisis. We can see, for instance, that China's large property developers, like Evergrande, but also others, are defaulting. Um, Evergrande, for instance, had something like $305 billion in obligations. The other big property developers, um, although not nearly as indebted, have basically can't pay back their debts anyway. Um, the country as a whole is too much debt. We don't know exactly how much, Don, but if you were to say maybe 350% of gross domestic product, that probably would be close, could even be 400%. Um, China is just not in a position to pay back um, whatever the amount is. And, you know, it's very interesting, Don, um, that the protests that we saw in Hunan and Zhengzhou, it wasn't in front of a particular bank. It was in front of the People's Bank of China, which is the central bank. So people understand that the crisis is not just any one institution. It's a crisis which is systemic. We know that banks in other provinces have defaulted, for instance, in Jiangsu. Um, so, yes, it's not just located in one province. It's a problem uh, throughout central and eastern China. How do you feel about how Chinese police handle the protests? You know, reports are saying people are being beaten, you know, they're being injured. This is the typical playbook of the Communist Party, to uh, intimidate, to use uh, force. And we can see that this will occur um, in, in the future because these banks can't pay back. Um, Beijing doesn't have an answer. Um, so it will try to use um, all means possible that are coercive. Now, it doesn't really seem fair to me. I mean, this is their money. They have every right to protest, don't they? What crime have they committed? They've committed no crime, of course. Um, but then again, law is not important in the People's Republic. It's the word of the party. Um, and the party generally believes, look, you know, um, the, the party line is that you, this money is not yours. It's our money. And we're going to do what we want with it. So... Um, there's a fundamental misperception uh, between the people and the party. You know, if, if this is how Chinese police are handling this every single time, it doesn't look good for the Communist Party going forward. No, it doesn't. But the party right now has no economic answers. At some point, I suppose they could print money. Um, but China already has an inflation problem. So um, that's not going to be a long-term solution. This is, this is an issue going forward. There's just not enough liquidity in the Chinese banking system. And, and this is not just in some faraway province. Uh, we're seeing this in Shanghai itself. So, for instance, Shanghai banks have severe restrictions on the amount of withdrawals. People are not able to get access to their money. There, there, there are no solutions within the confines of Communist Party ideology. We have seen under Xi Jinping moving towards a state model. Um, we have these uh, zero COVID policies um, and we have too much debt. And you put all this together, it means that the Chinese economy isn't growing at the reported rates. And I think that eventually it will engulf the regime. They've been able to put off crises for a very long time, Don. Um, and now we are probably seeing the reckoning. Uh, this looks kind of grim for the Chinese regime. Do you think 
the downfall, maybe the economic aspect? This could really be the trigger for um, the failure of the Communist Party. Um, you know, one can argue about was this COVID related or COVID caused? I don't think so. I think this was a debt crisis that's been there for quite some time. It's been masked um, because the Communist Party has been able to obtain money from the outside. Um, it's been masked because they've incurred debt, um, but now they are running out of room uh, what to do. And it's not helped by Xi Jinping, who has these absurd notions about how the Chinese economy and the banking system should work. Um, it just doesn't. He, he doesn't look at reality. And because of that, the Communist Party can't uh, come up with the solutions that would save it. I see. Well, Gordon Chang, thank you very much for coming on again. Thank you so much, Tom. Local regulators just announced they're going to pay some depositors their money back, starting with those who have smaller deposits. China's gambling capital, Macau, shut all its casinos for the first time in more than two years today. Authorities are trying to contain its worst COVID-19 outbreak yet. The casinos in the world's biggest gambling hub will be shut for one week. Many have been effectively closed for the past three weeks with only minimal staffing. But this new shutdown has hit investor confidence hard, sending shares in gaming firms tumbling. Some analysts predict that any recovery in gaming revenue might not happen until the end of the third quarter or even later. The industry accounts for more than 80 percent of government revenues in Macau, so leaders have tried to avoid closing it down. But with COVID cases rising, no one is allowed to enter or exit the city for at least five days. Sri Lanka's president has announced his resignation, and his presidential palace was ransacked. Now Sri Lanka's thoughts are turning to what could happen next. David Doyle has more. Some lounged on a four-poster bed, others jostled for a turn on the president's gym equipment. A day after it was ransacked, Sri Lankans roamed through the presidential palace on Sunday. Calm has now largely returned to the commercial capital Colombo, the day after anger over economic hardship boiled over. Protesters stormed President Gotabaya Rajapaksa's official residence, prompting him to announce his resignation. In the grounds of the colonial-era building, human resources manager Namal Jayawardeen said, the greatest thing the people and youth of this country have ever done is to chase this man away. In contrast to the luxurious surroundings, many Sri Lankans have been struggling to make ends meet. After the global health crisis hammered the tourism-reliant economy, the Indian Ocean island nation has been battered by record inflation, currency depreciation, rolling power cuts, and chronic fuel shortages. That boiled over into anger that also saw part of Prime Minister Ranil Wickremesinghe's private residence torched by protesters. Both Wickremesinghe and Rajapaksa were not in the residences when they were attacked. Bhavani Fonseca, a senior researcher at the Centre for Policy Alternatives, said it's not clear what will happen next. So this is going to be an extremely critical time to ensure there's political stability as well as economic stability at a time where there's also a law and order situation erupting. So if violence is not contained, there is concern that this is going to deepen the crisis. So very, very important times ahead for Sri Lanka. 
The economic crisis is Sri Lanka's worst in seven decades. A severe foreign currency shortage has stalled imports of essentials like fuel, food and medicine. Inflation is escalating. But there are fears that the political crisis could make matters worse. The International Monetary Fund, which has been in talks with the Sri Lankan government for a possible $3 billion bailout, said it was monitoring events closely. Over in Europe, the biggest pipeline supplying Russian gas to Germany just shut down for maintenance. That would normally be a routine event, but not this year. Governments and firms around the region are worried about when or whether the Nord Stream pipeline will reopen. It's due to restart on July 21st, but many fear that could be delayed. Moscow has already cut flows through the pipeline to 40% of its usual capacity. It's blaming it on the late return of equipment being serviced. Now, many fear Russia might restrict gas supplies even more, which could send prices rocketing even further. It would also wreck plans to top up gas storage facilities ahead of winter. Russia has dismissed all claims that it's using gas to put pressure on Europe. But Germany's economy minister says the EU should be ready for a prolonged outage for Nord Stream. Still to come, Starbucks dropping its new chicken sandwich after less than a week. What's the problem? One of the world's largest outdoor food festivals returns after a pandemic hiatus. We ask visitors how the food is. That and more coming up on NTD News. Welcome back. Starbucks pulled a new chicken sandwich off its menu after less than a week. It said the breaded chicken, maple butter and egg sandwich wasn't up to its quality standards. The new breakfast item officially launched in the U.S. on June 21st, but was pulled from menus just five days later. Employees were told to throw away any leftover sandwiches. A company spokesman said the quality issue had nothing to do with the potential for foodborne illness. Consumers worldwide are getting set for major online discounts. Amazon's Prime Day sales event starts Tuesday at 3 a.m. Eastern and goes for 48 hours. Discounts will be offered on many items including electronics, home goods and toys. Amazon's annual event attempts to increase loyalty with its Prime subscribers and perhaps draw new shoppers into its program. Last year's Prime Day sales event was the largest two-day sales period for third-party sellers in Amazon's history. Officials say Prime Day brings in around 1 to 2 percent of the company's yearly sales. Over the weekend, the largest outdoor food festival in Illinois finally returned after two years. The annual food fest, Taste of Chicago, brought back a sense of normalcy and festivity to visitors. Here's the story. Taste of Chicago, or The Taste, returned to Chicago's Grant Park from Friday to Sunday. 
The taste attracted tens of thousands of visitors across the country with no shortage of delectable food, refreshing drinks, and live performances. Ross James visits the taste from Connecticut with his co-worker. Uh, so my friend and I ordered uh, what was the shrimp and chicken crispy wonton, which is absolutely phenomenal. The taste, well known for its diversity of cuisines, featured 30 food vendors. Besides Chicago's local favorites like Chicago's Doghouse and Connie's Pizza, Asian fusion, such as Soul Taco, was one of the big hits. Steven Rea from a Chicago suburb just tasted Soul Taco. I had the uh, bulgogi uh, taco and they also had the uh, spicy chicken skewer. Absolutely delicious. Lamy Cedillo gave a thumbs up for the fire chicken skewer. It just was very flavorful, super yummy. It's like, feels like it's gonna be spicy, but it's not. It's like the perfect amount of spice. Super good. The beer, wine, and cocktails are popular among visitors. Bradford Farrell from South Carolina got his first taste of Chicago's craft beer. Goose Island, we got right over here. Oh, I like it, I do. Matt Martin is with Goose Island Beer Company, serving beer at the festival. He's relieved to be back. Outside of the of the sales that we're doing here, I see a lot of people all around the park carrying 312 cans and hazy beer hug cans. So it's good to see our beer in people's hands again. The taste is more than food and drinks. Live music and dance added more fun to the festival. Deborah Jones from Georgia took part in one of the summer dances. I've always wanted to come to Chicago and I've always wanted to do line dancing, so check, check. But I'm so happy I did the line dancing. Alyssa Biaggi from Chicago is not new to the taste. It's really fun, there's great food, there's so many different choices. It's a great mix of people here and great music. This year's tightened security measures with metal detectors, bag checks, and police patrol played a critical role in the safety and success of the event. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. It's a preview of coming attractions that are out of this world. On Tuesday, NASA says it'll release the first high-resolution color photos taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. The promise with at least one of the pictures is to show, quote, the deepest image of our universe that has ever been taken. Launched last December, the telescope is called the most powerful and complex ever built. Its aim is to take a deep look into the atmospheres of exoplanets, planets that orbit stars outside the solar system. A program scientist for the Webb telescope says of what's to come with these images. The world is about to be new again. The Webb project has been in the works since the mid-1990s. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.